the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Thanking you for joining us tonight. Thanking you so much, as always, for joining with us. I, I, I don't know if we ever thank you enough for joining us in the evenings uh, here on Sundays and talking about the Scriptures and getting through the Bible. And every year we're coming toward the end of another um, journey through the Scriptures. We're approaching uh, the end, the final books of the Hebrew the, the Tanakh. I'm, I'm so proud of the fact that I know that word, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, everybody's he, very proud of your term. <laughs> it's not necessary. I guess I haven't. But anyway, we're just about finished up with the tonight. We've got the small books at the end of the, uh, the, the old, what is called the Old Testament. And we do not, when we say that, we don't mean that in any way um, diminished or less important. I, I don't know. We just take it. I guess it's the language that came to us, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, we kind of take it that way. It's not an, uh, we don't mean any kind of offense at all or any kind of a, uh, some people, Jacob, sometimes even you even refer, refer to the new Testament sometimes as the Christian scriptures well, and, and some uh, yeah. Christians get upset because they say, no, I, no, we love I, the uh, old Testament too. Yes. Yeah. I have been, uh, addressed that about that. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> yeah. We love the old Testament too. We, we both are the part of the word of God. Well, anyway, that's we're finishing up the the Old Testament here these days. We're going to take those. Well, well, and I use sometimes the terms the Old Testament because if you're you got to be able to communicate with people, right? Yeah. And that's what the standard way of saying it in the, today's world is. So I, if I'm going to communicate and be friendly, I say it. Maybe somehow, sometime we could actually talk about that. What what is actually the sense of those words, uh, Old Testament? Oh. I know the idea of testament there is is covenant, right? Isn't that the old the idea? You have the old covenant and the new covenant, and 
And I've never really quite understood that myself, just even from a kind of logical position. But maybe we can talk about it. Do you understand it? What's I, by I, the only, I only know what I've been told. Okay. Uh, and uh, assuming that's correct, I know in what the 1890s uh, was the first time that that independent page appeared between the quote-unquote Old Testament and New Testament, uh-huh. and that the page that says the New Testament, and it was meant to be a demarcation between the Old Testament and New Testament. It was put in there out of Chicago, I understand. So it was meant to distinguish, and I understand testament uh, to be like a, a will. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, but to have a testament, you have to. Have somebody has to die, <laughs> and they did. I guess so. that that's the idea too. But I know that four hundred period, four hundred years, and actually we'll be focusing on that a bit because we're we're going to finish up the these prophets, uh, these final prophets in the Hebrew scriptures are called the minor prophets. That doesn't mean they're minor in any important way that means either. They were under eighteen. <laughs> They had to show their ID when they went into uh, a, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, they, we've got the, the smaller books, and and we're going to be uh, looking at the ones that are the, what they call post-exilic, those are the three prophets who uh, worked and had their ministry primarily in the time after the, the people uh, of Israel right, had returned uh, to uh, Israel, after, uh, what's his name, uh, the... the uh, who was the uh, uh, Cyrus, uh, Cyrus, the Persian uh, emperor who allowed them to come back? Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, those three will end up Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. And then we'll, that's, then they had this 400 years, we call it, or they, I say we. Well, <laughs> do you know why you call it that? 400 years of silence? Yeah, do you know why? Uh, probably because we weren't listening or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you told everybody, be quiet. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. All joking aside, actually, that's where the what the you know in the Catholic Bible they have the Deuterocanicals or the Apocrypha, yeah, the Maccabees, sure, uh, Ezra, sure. oh, uh, yeah. so in other books. And uh, anyway, so but, things did happen in that 400 years. But well, here's what kind of happened as I have understood history is that, see, a lot of people think that uh, the Catholics added those books. Mm-hmm. They really did not. No. They were always there for two, almost 2,000 years. But when the British Bible Society and, uh, and I think it was the International Bible Society got together in the 1880s, they actually removed those middle books. And so what the Protestants have today is what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the middle books, the Apocrypha, is gone. Mm. And uh, and it, that's always been amazing to me because when you do read the New Testament, even Jesus himself, perhaps you've heard of him, he actually <laughs> makes reference to some of those things in the book. So you got to ask yourself, why would they take those out? I think I know the reason. I can't say for sure, but I think. Huh. But the Catholics still have them. And so it wasn't that the Protestants added them. I'm sorry, that the Prote- that the Catholics added them, but rather they were taken out. The, uh, yeah, for a period. Now, I, I believe in the Catholic Bibles today, you can still read them. Oh, you're sure. The, in fact, I, I keep uh, several uh, English Protestant Bibles, and I also mm-hmm. keep a couple Catholic Bibles just so I can look th- things up and compare. I'll have to confess, it's been some years, uh, in, my, in my youth, actually, I bothered to read them. They did have a different tone. They they didn't seem in the same, to me, and I don't know if it was a bias or not. I was too young to have too much of a bias, but I just they did seem to have and a little bit. Now you're older and improved. You can have your bias. <laughs> the older, improved version, right? I'm the, the new, improved. I'm the maximum strength. I see. I'm not the n- new, um, 
improved or I'm not the uh, more strength, you know, I'm the, ma I'm the maximum that. strength. You, you know, might say Mr. Queen. You know, you know how Seinfeld defines maximum strength? No, I've never go, got to watch that show very yeah, much. Oh, oh, he's he, he kind of funny. He, it's one of his stand-up things. He says, well, you've got, you've got the regular strength and then you've got it, what, um, more strength or, uh -huh. call, or then you've got... Uh, uh, you know, improved and more, sh and then you had the maximum strength. You, you, what maximum strength is is they they find out how much will kill you, and then they back it up just a little ah, bit. That's <laughs> funny. That's funny. It is kind of good. Speaking of terms in the Bible, you mm -hmm. know, I just got back from. I went all the way up to the Canadian border in Michigan. You know. Yes, you've been traveling. And, We've and uh, boy, I will tell you what. Uh, it's uh, Mackinac Island. Uh, we spent two or three days there, and we went up to a place in Paradise. It's just you can see Canada right across the water. And that's is that it, called Paradise? It is called, well, it's <laughs> called Whitefish Point, but 20 miles back is the little town of Paradise. Oh, Whitefish and, Point sounds good. Sounds like there's well, good fishing or something. Well, uh, it's where the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. Right. And all those people down. And there's several hundred ships that went down right at that point. Huh. So it's a bad spot for ships. But I also peeked in at a couple of different places, just out of curiosity. I did discover that why in uh, many uh, Protestant and most Baptist churches, they have that famous phrase about, um, uh, you know, we, we shall all, and we were talking about Revelation a little bit uh -huh. before the show, about uh, we shall not all uh, sleep, but we'll all be changed. Uh -huh. I found the reason for that. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's because they got them in the nursery where the babies say, we might not all sleep, but we will be changed. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I, you know, actually I heard that before. I knew there was a zinger coming there. That's pretty good. Well, your, I, your Yankee roots are showing through with this idea. In uh, the first place, we can talk about this a bit, folks. This is called the Bible Live, and we, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the scriptures. We're going to get into those in just a bit. But Jacob's been gone a week or two. What what he does is he lends this incredible element to the program of helping us understand the Jewish foundations, the 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 Jewish um, thread that runs through all of the scriptures, old and new scripture. We have to remember the. Uh, uh, the writers, all Jewish, the traditions, the history, the culture, the religion, uh, Jesus himself, uh, uh, the Messiah, a uh, committed, practicing Jew, faithful. Uh, and so we, how can we understand this book without getting some sense of that? The language that is used is often quite colorful, metaphorical, what they call apocalyptic language, mm -hmm. of which the prophets uh, coming right out of Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophets we've been reading. So Jacob is really helping to unscrew the inscrutable for us uh, every week as he kind of gives us that that perspective uh, of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's, it's truly exciting. But now, that being said, and, and that would probably be the last nice thing I'm about to say about tonight. Well, okay. <laughs> Not really. We're great friends. But you're a Yankee. Uh, I, I did. I, I, grew, I grew up in Michigan, yes. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And you went back up. Now, the reason for this little journey is this kind of like a... a, a what, what are they down memory lane or? Oh well, that was a uh, sentimental uh, journey. Well, nah, it, it was more. The, I can't say it was any of those things. It was just the time was right to go and uh, see family. And and, and, uh, and Michigan itself is you know a lot of trees, a lot of woods. In fact, Hemingway is from Michigan, uh, and so is uh, Charlton Heston that played Moses. How about? In fact, uh, Moses is from Michigan. Yeah, right? he is. Uh huh. 
No one thinks of him as Charlton Heston anymore. It's like, oh, there's Moses. Yeah, well, actually, uh, I, I'd make a joke, but you wouldn't get it because there's a word in Hebrew called Mishigash, uh-huh. which means basically uh, confusion. So I could say, yeah, it's from Mishigash, but it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> but, but my aunt actually uh, owned a little motel on one of the lakes there, and she had a little restaurant with a big Indian out front. Hey, yeah. with feathers, and, right? Uh huh. And, Char- and Charlton Heston went to a little school there that had uh, like 13 people from kindergarten to senior in it. And when he made it big, he bought 300 acres. And he, whenever he came back, he always stopped, and he knew my aunt, of course. And he stopped in at the restaurant, and he always got his favorite drink. Chocolate milk. Close. Really? Uh, he would ha- he'd sit and talk with everybody because he's from the new everybody, small area. Uh-huh. And he'd have a vanilla milkshake and then get one to go. And he had 300 acres there. So, any rate, but I went back. Well, and had it changed an awful lot? What, what's it been, 30, 40 years since you lived there? Yes, actually? yes, oh, yes. And so uh, I was, so, the, but the, the towns itself, Detroit and Michigan and Flint, uh, they're absolutely destroyed. I am not in a hmm. fit person to I've have read it. that, but I can't oh, imagine it's it. It's horrible. I've just, seen pictures. Just horrible. Looks like Lebanon after bo- it, the bombing. I was thinking Berlin or Warsaw. Wow, really? It is so bad. I mean, it just made me really, really disgusted at NAFTA. Probably, it's going to take me a month to be a fit person to discuss NAFTA because <laughs> I'm so angry. Now, I know George W. Bush pushed it real hard. I know that Bill Clinton signed it on December 23rd because Christmas is coming. So, uh, Oh, not, that's a great time to be passing major legislation. Sure, <laughs> sure nobody pays <laughs> Two attention. Two days before Christmas. But when I, I went through the neighborhood that I grew up in, and I got to tell you, it is just in havoc. Seventy percent of the people in Flint are now on welfare. And I, and I actually saw uh, and talked to people who had some jobs there. And... You know, Flint, Detroit is who made the middle class in America. The sure, car the companies. auto industry and sure. all of that. Mm-hmm. And now it's all gone. In fact, mm-hmm. the factory that my uh, my mother had worked at was an AC factory. It was mm-hmm. like two miles square under roof, and it and it is gone. And there's two not a brick miles left. Square. Wow, yeah. Oh, it's, it was giant. Sure, and the Chevrolet. See, Flint made Buick, Chevrolet, AC, mm-hmm. and it was gone. I mean, just a just a vacant field now. I drove past Chevrolet, where I hired in when I first got out of high school. And uh, it used to be you could come out of high school within two weeks if you could get in the factory, and almost everybody did. I applied three places and got three jobs. Goodness. But you could be middle class. You could buy a home, buy a car. You could do everything. But that's the place. Now, compare this to today, that you have to take a job there. You have to sign an agreement. I saw the agreement that you only work 20 hours a week. And if you take it. If you're fortunate enough to have a job, Uh you can only work 20 hours a week. There's not full time, like 40 hours. No, no, in fact, uh, part of the contract says that you can only, if you take another job working somewhere else for 20 hours a week, you'll be fired from the first job you took for 20 hours a week. Is that just so they can spread the jobs around or something? No, no, it was explained to me because the companies have to, at 28 hours, persons considered full time, even if it's joint employment, and and that's the Obamacare. So they don't want to pay. Also, they'd the, have to pay a health, the, health. The businesses have to pay health care, so they keep everybody down to twenty hours. Oh and it says God. if you take a job somewhere else, you get fired, and it's incredible. I mean, and and I couldn't. I just couldn't. My actually, my wow. grandmother had owned two apartment houses there. I drove past there, and they both were gone. They're gone. Oh, oh my goodness! And in each neighborhood that I drove through. It was so incredible because every third or fourth house is just devastated. It looks like a war zone. And the fact was that it like when the Jews came back from uh, 
from Babylon and you're going back into, and the walls were down and everything was. <laughs> I think I think maybe so. And it's so interesting you say that because I, I uh, later late this afternoon I talked with my daughter about mm-hmm. it, uh, the one in Arizona, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, you should buy some land there. Now's the time to buy land. Oh, that's so funny. And I said yes, and I, I said because that's. What Jeremiah, Jeremiah. Was upon to buy and it. I said to her on the phone, I said, you know, that's so interesting because when the uh, Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, Jeremiah bought some property <laughs> behind the enemy lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and I said, and I said that's so interesting that the same theory. And uh, she said, well, it'll probably come back someday. Anyway, but the point is that even my, even the house, the operative word there is someday. When is that? Gonna, yeah. Well, the house that uh, was the nicest house in their neighborhood. That I, when I was a kid, I actually got a dollar and a quarter an hour to help him lay sod in his front and backyard. Uh-huh. And it was a nice house. All the windows were busted. The doors kicked off the hinges. The people broke in there, and they've taken all the copper pipes, and they've stripped the houses trying to make money. And, uh, there, and by the way, there is no food markets left. There was there's something up there called Myers or something like H-E-B. They've closed them all. Now you got to, if you, I noticed people didn't seem to have many cars Goodness either. gracious. So the only place you can buy food now is if, like, the little corner stores ran many times by uh, uh, Koreans or Palestinians or something. Uh-huh. And a lot of times they, I ask a couple people, well, how do you get to the store since the big ones have closed? And they said, well, we go once a week and we'll all load in one car, go 20 miles and buy groceries and come back. But that's the conditions. And I got to tell you. Now, there's no doubt about this. Flint is now 95% black. Mm-hmm. Detroit's 98% yeah, black. Yeah, 98, yeah. And I got to tell you something. I became, on their behalf, I can fully understand. I left there disgusted and angry. I am so, I told you, I'm not a fit person to discuss NAFTA with for about 30 days. <laughs> because uh, when I saw what NAFTA did, it totally destroyed the state. Yeah, Michigan was basically two or three big cities, Detroit, Flint, that kind of stuff. And the rest of it is just woods. So yeah. that's why you told me out of the elevator when we first saw each other, you, we exchanged some pleasantries. And, all, and then his first words were, boy, I am really angry at Republicans and Democrats, politicians. Yeah. And all, so that's, Well, I, I, it is I true. See. We can't get around it. George W. Bush wanted to push NAFTA. When Clinton got elected, he signed it. So there's no way around it. But the intent was they moved all the jobs to other countries. They've totally, And that was the place that made the middle class for America. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't the unions that, that destroyed it. It wasn't that they were outpriced. In fact, the one thing that always struck me as odd is that we know that Bernie and Trump are at opposite ends of the polls. Um, and, but it, the one item they seemed to agree on was replacing the tariffs in America. And so we have because they've turned them into third world, those cities into third world countries up there. I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on like that, but I'm just devastated. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was... Uh, I, I, I can understand it. I've gone back to you know my hometown roots and see. Now, happily in this case, it was Texas again, and good old Amarillo, still kind of the salt of the earth, good, you know, kind of conservative, you know, godly people and families. Great place to raise a family and all. And so, uh, Texas isn't going through some of that. I, I think. Well, you have to think when you talk about Clinton or Bush and all that. Yeah, those are national. But on the in terms of the local politics and the local economy and that mm-hmm. sort of thing too, of course, I think we have to c- c- admit that Michigan essentially has been run and governed by Democrats for what, there's no 50, doubt. 60 oh, years. Yeah, there's so. no doubt about that. But I, I get it. I I guess that's why part of the reason why Trump, with all of his <laughs> with all of his 
problems and quirks and this and that and the other is tweeting and all i the the secret to some of his popularity is the fact that he's anti-establishment and he's getting it from both republicans and democrats there well i used so to I get guess that i guess that i'm guessing that's yeah. one reason why he is you know make put america first and that sort of thing uh I suppose that is the secret of any popularity he well, does you know, enjoy. NAFTA, the purpose of NAFTA was to destroy the tariffs so that all the jobs could move in because so people could bring all the job, build things elsewhere and bring them into this country. Well, they did, of course, too. And they did. And there's only a couple tariffs that's still in place, like the whiskey tariff that's owned by the Kennedys. But... Um, <laughs> well, I'm not joking. I know you're not. I just didn't know that. That's but but the but what's fascinating to me is is that they had uh, at the AC factory I told you about. Uh, it was all surrounded by good middle class neighborhood. Everybody kept their yards cut mm-hmm. and planted trees and flowers. It was a nice neighborhood. All on all four sides around the plant, and it was a clean plant. People actually walked to work in the morning. Uh, at about 14, I actually got a job selling newspapers. I'd get up and go to, the, to that factory and sell newspapers in the morning before I'd go to school. And at that time, I was making 25, 30 bucks a week, which is pretty decent money at that time. For that time, it sure uh, is. And, for, for a high school kid or a school kid. That's yeah, and, and I was thinking, and it's just gone. Mm-hmm. It's just gone. Mm-hmm. Every restaurant I used to remember is gone. They've turned them into just horrible It places. is not just that thing being gone, but that opportunity is gone. That you know, it'd be nice if it was replaced with other kind of an opportunity or something. But but it's just there's no, there's just no jobs, no opportunity, and the one. So now it's just been a. a uh, we yeah we probably ought to get down to our topics, but so now it's just, it's a haven for governmental dependence. And other they successfully politicians have successfully made the entire population dependent upon government for their well-being and for. So there they are, the dependent. Well, I can fully understand the folks that live there, their anger, their frustration, because I can see. Well, sure. I can see, and I became very sympathetic to them because I could see the the way they're living and the way they used to live. You know, and they see everything else, and, and, and it's hard to get out of there. Yeah, of course, yeah. It's... Yeah, I think you literally have to get out of there. To, well, and, 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 and but once you... Uh, it's hard to move. They don't have the finances to move. They don't... Know, that's uh, right. You can. They're living subsistence, so it's hard to get out. But, mm-hmm. you know, people have managed to do mm-hmm. that throughout mm-hmm. the ages. But once you get out of Detroit and Flint, out of the city limits, of course, we all know that they were feeding the people in Flint all that river, water from the Flint River. When yeah, I was a true. kid, you, you, we knew we didn't swim in it and we didn't drink it. You, you knew that. And yet, uh, now they've been feeding them. Of course, they're, it's, bad things are happening mm-hmm. uh, to me. But once you get out of the city limits, like I say, most of the rest of Michigan is just woods, and, uh, and I mean tall trees, a lot of woods. And there, there was, you might find this interesting. There was many, many Indian tribes that lived in Michigan. I was just going to ask about. It. Yeah, sure. Because they, you know, the hunting. That's so. Uh, Michigan is an Indian word, actually, if I remember correctly. It uh, is. I believe so. In yeah. fact, Mackinac Island comes from an Indian word that means turtle. And so, because they thought that looked like a turtle. And uh, the Mackinac Island is an island halfway between America and Canada. And by treaty, you can only have uh, three vehicles there an ambulance, a fire truck, and Mm -hmm. a uh, police car. Everybody else uses horses or bikes or walks. (laughs) And uh, it's just fascinating. It's funny what you say about uh, turtle. Of course, that's the language of that locale. Uh, The word turtle in Navajo is a little bit famous because. 
you remember the whisper you know, during the war there were the Navajos sure, sure, that, sure. that had their language and it was a code that the Japanese couldn't break because they didn't know I can and say the word for a tank was turtle yes uh, oh a turtle yeah. I can see I can see I actually did know a guy who was a Navajo and he taught me one phrase uh I think I remember, know what it might be but go ahead okay well it's Yata Heshikish. Yata Heshikish. Yata Heshikish. Okay. Heshikish. You Yata know what that means? Is what's going on or something. I was like, hey, what's happening, Grandpa? Yata <laughs> <laughs> Heshikish. I know the Yata Head. I didn't know the Grandpa. I've got to learn the Grandpa word. That's good. Well, listen, we are in the little books. Oh, our segment's almost gone, too. But yeah, but you know what's in interesting how it ties into the, all these books tonight? Hosea, Joel, Amos... Yeah, well, how, how, do you, how would you segue Well, because all this is like predicting devastation and the retribution of God. That's exactly so right. they are getting this bad ret, uh, retribution and the devastation, the destruction that's going to be coming. Now, ho- what's nice also, they all end on a hopeful note. All of and, them, yeah. And so we, they, it's understood that it will come back, but it all does have that sense of destruction and devastation. Yeah, there's warning in every one of them. Hosea... Uh, every, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and Micah. Those are these, what they call minor prophets. But each one of them is so interesting. It's it's hard to convince. I was talking to basic trainees this morning at Lackland, and we were talking about the Bible and, and what kind of book it is, what it is, and so. And we had a fascinating discussion of about. I had about oh two hundred, a little over two hundred trainees this morning that in my three classes, and. Uh, we were talking about the book and the Bible and helping them kind of get a sense of it. And, then, and they didn't know much about these called minor prophets, these shorter works. But they are so fascinating. If you understand the context, the time in which they wrote, in which they wrote and the, and the con- who they were addressing principally in their era, it is, boy, these guys were courageous men and women. I mean, men, of course, uh, primarily these, these prophets. Hosea. Uh, what does the name Hosea mean? Maybe someone could call in and give us an answer to that question tonight. What does the name Hosea mean uh, in in Hebrew? And that gives us a sense, too, about the book. Actually, uh, in Hebrew, it means Hosea. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean in English? Hosea, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, like, uh, what do they call Chinese food in China? It's just food, right? Food, yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, so we got Joel. Joel, this little book, begins his book by describing the land being covered and all the crops being eaten by what or by whom? You know, maybe that's a good question. The book of Joel begins his book by describing the land being covered and the crops being eaten by whom or by what? Uh, Amos. What, what, was, uh, what did Amos do for a living? Was he a, a lawyer? Was he a prophet? Was he a preacher? Was he, what, what did Amos do for a living? I'd like to ask you uh, just these basic questions. And what's the shortest book in the Old Testament? What's the shortest book in the Old Testament? And uh, I'll come back. We'll we'll talk about uh, these other books. We've got two more books that we refer to in our questions tonight. But uh, there's a good three or four questions for you to start with. If you want to give us a call, 340-9585. Some online. Yep, please hang in. We've got to take our break now. 210 is the area code, 340-9585. And we'll be right back and get on the phone lines with you. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. When I was a paper boy, they had a contest to see who could sell the most subscriptions to the newspaper. I won. And I won a trip to the ocean. It was a fun trip and the first time I'd ever seen anything where there was enough. Anyway, on that trip, there was another boy, and I asked him how many subscriptions he had sold. He said, none. My father is the circulation manager for the paper. They're going to ask me how I got to heaven. I'm not going to list the few good things I did. I'm just going to say, my father manages this place. He'll be your father, too. Talk to Jesus, and he'll, he'll work out an adoption. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. Have you seen a family divided over property after losing a loved one? Have you known someone who spent months or years fighting in court to receive the property that was left to them? Unfortunately, I often see families fighting in probate court. Wouldn't you like to avoid this situation? I'm Charlie Weisinger, board-certified estate planning attorney with Weisinger Law Firm. At Weisinger Law Firm, we can help you put a plan in place that avoids probate so your loved ones never have to set foot in a cold courtroom. Many times that plan includes a living trust. Let my team help you achieve peace through planning to ensure your family won't be stuck fighting it out in court. Just call 210-308-0800 and we'll help you get a plan in place. We're located just north of San Antonio in Selma, Texas. So call me, Charlie Weisinger, at 210-308-0800. That's 210-308-0800 or weisingerlawfirm.com. Weisinger Law Firm, peace through planning. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I believe Noah built a knock of wood 120 years. No one understood. I believe. Elijah never died. He caught fire from heaven on a mountainside. Yeah. I believe, I believe. I believe in the Word of God. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. We are back. Thank you for joining us for uh, the Bible. I'm, ja- I'm Jacob. I believe it's Opie and Jacob. That's right. We've got, got to put it in there. You know, it's, a, it's so, you see, you ought to belong to a union, and you could have really gotten me for years ago. But uh, we are looking at the minor prophets, these smaller books at the end of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Uh, we're talking about tonight Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. And Obadiah, you're going to be interesting. I think it would be interesting for a lot of people to know who Obadiah was. He was a guy. He was a guy. And he was, um, if I remember correctly, he's related to uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, yeah. Uh, yeah. Habakkuk, yeah. yeah Habakkuk. 
Uh, and then um, Obadiah and then Jonah. Yeah, we'll talk about all of these guys and try to give you a sense of, remember when they ministered that most of them here we're talking about were shortly before the um, the destruction of Jerusalem and the time of the, the uh, exile. Uh, they were warning the people of Israel. They were warning everybody. They warned the countries around Israel at the time. They were warning people. The northern, not the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had disappeared already in 722 B.C. But they were just warning everybody about this is coming. The destruction is coming. Get ready. And uh, so we have some questions out for you. And uh, uh, Harold is on the line. We're going to go take his call in just a moment. Harold, hang on just just a tiny bit longer. Uh, we want to set this up so folks can call in and be a part of the program. Uh, I wanted to ask you from the book of Jonah. Uh, Nineveh, was, remember Jonah was called to go preach to the people of Nineveh, Nineveh, and he didn't want to. And so we want you to kind of give us an explanation of why he didn't want to. Nineveh was the capital of the ruling world empire of that time. Who? What empire? Nineveh was the capital of what Empire, and uh, so that'll give us a little bit of a sense of maybe why Jonah did not want to go and uh, preach to those folk. And then finally, we get to Micah, and um, he, he was a prophet who was a contemporary of Isaiah. He announced God's coming judgment on the capital cities, both of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. What are the names of the two capital cities that Micah warns and pronounces, uh, you know, judgment uh, coming? for both of their capital cities. What are the capital cities of Israel, the ten tribes in the north, and of Judah and Benjamin? The, and uh, you'll find the answer in uh, Micah 1.1. 1, 1. Oh, we haven't given, I haven't been given the uh, answer text, have yes, I? Yes, and you didn't give out the phone number. Micah you still 1, have a phone I, We do. 210 is our area code. You have to put the area code in there now, I believe, in, at least in some phones. I'm not sure if your smartphones or not, but you have to put the area code because they've done something with our... We've got another area code, but it's 210, 210-340-9585, Give us a call if you can answer any of those questions about these Old Testament books, these uh, minor prophets. And let's go now and talk to Harold. Harold. And we're glad to visit with you, Harold. Oh, what's that? You're waking up to the sound of birds coughing, it sounds like. They're in, you sound like you're from Los Angeles, coughing and uh, with all the smog. Harold. Hi, I'm about a month from now. <laughs> that's, that's a phrase I heard I'm about a put month to me last week. It means you're, yeah, a, I was, you're ahead of yourself? Is that the idea? Well, actually, I was having a Bible discussion Friday morning with a guy, and I didn't realize I started in the beginning. <laughs> Are you still there? Did we? Okay, you started at the beginning, meaning you started the book of Genesis, or what? No beginning, <laughs> you know, how things came about and all oh, that. I so. see. Well, we're going to get to that in just a few weeks. We're going to be ending yeah. up this trip. It will go back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, and we'll be, we were talking a little bit about that tonight, Jacob and I were, but well, what's on your mind? You know what was, well, you know what was really interesting? All, you know, I'm proud of you, too. I'm trying to remember that, and um, your show last week was very interesting, and I really did enjoy hearing uh, Jacob with all his experiences he's so interesting to listen to sure and I, i'm not just i'm not just saying that but i talked to my sister betty i know you talked to her before uh-huh. on the uh, radio and stuff and uh i was talking to her about act 15 and about the animals i won't go over everything uh, you know things are 
amputated and sewed back together. I've never heard of this. I never heard of that. We talked for about an hour and a half, and I, I lived a lot of things that I heard. And she says, she literally says, "Hell, you're starting to. You sound like that, Jacob. You sound like Jacob." And she goes, "I don't get tired of listening to him." I said, "Betty, you could tune in Sunday night or listen to the podcast because every time I listen, I learned. I, I I never heard that before. You know, I've been going around in my sixties saying that." You know, and uh, so it's, you know, uh, I, you asked a question last week, probably to one of your other callers about Hebrews, who wrote Hebrews and how that came about. You know, I spent about six hours this weekend in Barnes and Nobles, two hours studying, the rest eating and watching books. I got to add that in. Do they let you do your laundry there too, by the way? Yeah, and I, no, I don't think they would. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they would, but I did. Bring a sandwich in there today. They might um, start charging you rent after a while. You know, you got to be careful. Well, I bought a few Bibles there. They have a great collection. You know, the new thing, uh, seek, knock, and listen, and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But um, you know, it's still the uh, the um, NLT or King James, but it has uh-huh. uh, things that they found out through the Dead Sea Scrolls. So there's always something added, not in the scriptures, but in the yeah, commentary. Information, yeah, sure. Yeah, and so anyway. I didn't plan on reading it. There's, there's, uh, in Hebrews, in the NOT Bible, it's not a, um, it's not a commentary, but it's a, it kind of reminds me of Jacob a little bit. Uh, it's just two lines. It says, and it's talking about past tense, and, and now it says, Judaism was not second rate or easy. Divinely designed, it was the best religion expressing True worship and devotion to God, and and um, you can't put that together. You know, me being a Christian, raised a certain way. You, you know, you just can't put that together the way I was raised or my sister was raised. You know, and uh, or a lot of people. You know, yes. and so I'm so grateful for it. And I've heard uh, Jacob. I haven't said hi to him yet, but uh, hi, Jacob. Hi, Harry. Um, Hi, uh, and you know, <laughs> I, he's he's probably met the Lone Ranger. Well, I know I did years ago at uh, Builder well, Square. That's how old he is. Folks. Uh, I went to the bank to, to arrange a loan. Yeah, well, I I know I heard him say on the radio. Did you talk to the Lone Ranger? Mm-hmm. I went to the, to see the Lone Ranger. <laughs> I, I won't make any jokes there about his friend, but um. I, uh, I I am 6.6% Indian, but uh, I heard, I remember Jacob saying some while back on the radio show that he actually shook hands with Elvis Presley. I mean, he's a bundle of information about a whole different variety of things, not was just religion. after he died? It, uh, this, Be- this was actually before, and before. It, it is true, but I went to where he lived. He didn't come to where I live. <laughs> You're making me laugh, Jacob. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to say I enjoyed the show, and last week was so interesting, Jacob. With you know the way you said, you know the animals they didn't have a refrigerator; they had to do these certain things, and yeah. you know, and I even catch myself now reading the Bible, just reading verse after verse, and I'm telling myself, I know I don't know what this really means. I know I'm missing the point or the idea, but I'm going to keep reading anyway. Well, that's, you know. that's what we uh, we Gentiles kind of have to live with that a bit. Because, I mean, I don't mean that derogatorily either, Harold. Oh, of course not. I, no, of course not. But but no, you know, we don't know. We don't have all of that rich background, the texture of the culture, the language, and so on. 
And we do miss a lot of the, and a lot of the details are so, so exciting to hear because there's nothing mm. there that really derides or nullifies anything that we've come to understand. I was just asking Jacob when he got out of the car, I'm going to go ahead and let you go so you can listen there off the air, but I appreciate Okay, it. yeah. We love hearing from you. We really Hello, do. Harold. Okay. Good to see okay, you. Okay, I'll see you later. Yeah, we were just talking about that tonight. I came out of the car when we met tonight, come up to the studios, and I was saying, you know, uh, to Jacob, I I kind of been thought, thinking a lot about why is it that I mean we we're essentially I was telling some basic trainees this morning when they were talking they were asking me questions I had kind of a question answer time with with these uh, young men and women the, some of them young believers you know fairly young new believers and and many of them raised in Christian homes and churches and so they had great questions and that. And they were asking me, uh, you know, about the Bible and, and the uh, the, Jew, the relationship to Judaism and so on. And I, I had to tell them, you know, you know, Jesus didn't come. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. That wasn't his purpose for coming. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's the way it worked out in our world. That's it's part of the dynamic of, of the what God is doing around the world, bringing people to himself. Somehow or other, we, we've gotten split at that early, early occasion. And, uh, you know, the followers. But the truth is, essentially, we as Gentiles, and I've said this many times, we're, we're basically just Jewish converts. We, we've, we worship Ab the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. We, we revere the books of the prophets in the Bible, the, the, the scriptures. We have the same, even the Messiah himself is Jewish Messiah, Redeemer, Savior. Uh, I don't know how we could be a whole lot more <laughs> considered. I mean, essentially, I, I think at the at the core of our, we are we bought into the Jewish faith and the Jewish well, revelation. And in the Romans, what's the verse about grafted in? How's that go? Sure, yeah, we have been. I don't know the quote, but the the concept is very clear that we have been grafted in. We become part of the Israel, um, and and so on. And of course, you've explained that to us in the sense that we are actually. Uh, Jewish in the, in the sense that Jude, we were brought into Israel to become part of through Messiah Jesus through the uh, who is in the tribe of Judah. So we, uh, so we've talked about this a little bit at length. And the in the honest background is is that that we uh, we come from that heritage, but we miss that, and, and partially it's it's our own. You know, we don't we haven't delved deep enough into the scriptures and understand even the New Testament. Clearly, because they were totally and absolutely alluding to the old Hebrew scriptures, they were talking about these things. But uh, also, I, I don't blame huge uh, guys, the, the Jewish folk, a little hey, bit. Huge guys. That was your job is to tell us about these things. Well, then I got something for you that's not listed on your uh, ex excellent questions tonight. Uh -huh, okay. Do you happen to have a Bible with you? I do, right here in front of me. Somehow, I knew that. Uh huh. Uh huh. What are you going to have me look? Well, at? Uh, uh, now. They asked me a lot of questions from Isaiah this morning. I was kind of curious. That was kind of interesting. That uh, I don't know why that would be in their minds, but they did. Well, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I, I don't know if, if uh, Hosea is one of the few books where sometimes you get some of the numbers numbered different from the the Jewish oh, right? Bible from uh -huh. the Christian Bible. Uh huh. Uh, but uh, in mine, it's uh, Isaiah four six. That's a very, very, very famous phrase. You just, said, you just said Isaiah. Do you, do you mean Hosea? I did mean Hosea. Okay. But H and I are so close together uh -huh. in the alphabet, you know. Uh, 
I suspect they're somehow linguistically attached to each other. I don't know, but Hosea four six. I got it. I am looking uh, at it. I would like you. Know, you're familiar with everybody saying, "Oh, my people are destroyed for lack, lack of knowledge." Of, <clears throat> lack of knowledge without a vision, the people perish. Ah, yeah. well, let's read what the verse actually says. All right, you better do it in your Hebrew. I, I'll say what it says here, but I'm not sure if it's gonna how you're gonna like it. Well, it's gonna, I'm gonna the like trans- it. You know, that's another. Th- we gotta mention clearly that. That we sometimes forget the complexity of what has had to take place for these books to come to us. These are books from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and they've come through time. They've come through. They've weathered the storms and different, and of course, languages. Even just the language transition from the time it was originally written to, to what we have today. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, th- we have to realize that oh, yeah. language is not simple. No. Replace this word with that, and you get it. That uh, These are complex concepts. Oh, absolutely. So uh, yeah. th- this one says, my people are, de- are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to acknowledge you as my priest. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. Wow. Yeah, now, everybody knows that verse, at least the the first part about my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Uh But look at the rest of the verse, and I know I was listening closely to how you translated it. Actually, it reads, if I may, Uh my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You rejected knowledge, and so I have rejected you. He's talking to the priest. Mm Mm-hmm. You spurned the Torah of your God. And they, I guess they use a different word other than Torah in it English. Says laws. I laws. Guess. Well, okay. And uh, the Greeks translated the word Torah as laws. So so what? What is that? What are they being destroyed for? They're being destroyed because they haven't been taught God's laws. Yeah. Now, that's the rest of the verse. Now, I always find it fascinating. People don't catch the rest of the verse. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have not been taught the Torah. And I always heard that, and actually Torah means instructions or teaching. Mm-hmm. But that's fascinating to me. And this, this is addressed to the priest, not to regular folks. Because that was the There job. is a special responsibility both in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the New. Teachers, anyone who's going to be a teacher or instruct others, there's a special responsibility and accountability that goes with it. Sure. Uh, and both of them come under quite a bit of uh, admonition. Be careful, be careful. Let not many of you be teachers, you know, we're told that. Right. It, it, and responsibility. They're both, uh, there's quite a bit of condemnation that comes on, on false teachers, those who would uh, who would uh, lead others astray by, by mis by not teaching the scriptures or by teaching their own laws and views instead of God's word. Well, actually, and if I may, I've sat down, I've gone through all the, especially the four Gospels, and and I have come to the conclusion, contrary to what popular thought is, I guess, is that, uh, Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees was not that the Pharisees were teaching the laws of God, but they were teaching the law, man, more or less man-made laws. Jesus was insisting on teaching God's laws. In fact, everything, seven, over 72% of everything he says in the Gospels comes directly from the book of Deuteronomy. Amazing. So I always found that fascinating because that's the opposite of what I uh, always had heard from you know, the Christian mm-hmm. sources. 
And I, I just find that fascinating that he, it was him who was insisting on it. Well, that has been really one of the most encouraging things about our coming together and looking at, uh, in other words, we haven't come with our religious, you know, we, know, we both know in the <laughs> religious sense, I'm what they call a Christian and you're what they call a, a Jew, uh, in, the, in terms of religiosity and religious systems and so on, but we've kind of eschewed that for the moment and we don't come approach things from that point of view. We just went to the book. And if you just go to the actual book, the writings, the words themselves and the statements, it's amazing how close, actually, we're, we're more and more, actually, I find myself more and more drawn to, together. I've, I sense that we've been drawn far more, more uh, continuity, more uh, kind of a Presentary to one another than we have. Uh, th- there's not that much con- like you've mentioned many times that, that now Jesus, Jesus is the one that got it right. <laughs> he was actually doing and teaching. Well, and one of the prime of examples when I read the Gospels, really for about the first time, that was exciting to me to hear. That. Yeah, and it, I sat down and one of the me a lot. one of the first things you said, Matthew, is when uh, the Pharisees say, "Hey, you know, your guys are walking through the field and picking grain and eating, and not washing their hands, etc." And I, when I first read that, I thought, well, why would they complain about that? Uh, because see, it's called gleaning, right? If I remember correctly from Deuteronomy. Well, a, gleaning would be the leftovers. They were supposed to leave. Uh, yeah, well, but, oh, I see what you mean. So, uh-huh. But this is like if they're still growing crops. Walking through the field. Uh-huh. So it's never been. And in Deuteronomy, it actually there's a law that actually says if you walk through a field and you're hungry, you can pick an ear of corn and you're eat traveling, it. Traveling. Yeah. Y- uh-huh. You can't harvest it because that's the stealing. Uh-huh. But if you want to pick an ear of corn, you can eat it. So I couldn't understand why the in the, the book of Matthew why these fellows were complaining about somebody eating an ear of corn because it says absolutely in Deuteronomy you can do that. I think that. it was actually wheat they were eating, but that's all right. Oh, that's, well. Whether it's corn or wheat, I guess it doesn't uh, matter, right? Oh, yeah. It's a, there's a poem by George Orwell called The Purist, and they're introducing him at a, at a dinner, and the guy introduced him saying, you know, his leg got bit off by an alligator, and he stands up and says, no, crocodile. The point is he lost his leg. <laughs> yeah. Okay, whether it's corn or wheat, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, uh, but, so, but I find that fascinating because as I go through this more and more, and I always hear these verses quoted, I always think, like, you know, from Job comes that quote about uh, saved by the skin of your teeth, you know. And I, I always find this, and they made Oh, it, I love mm-hmm. those. I love to study this. The phrases that come out of a little bird told me. Yeah, yeah. Right out of the proverb. Right out of yeah. it. And, and the one other one that really gets me uh, interested, too, is in the, they made a movie about this, the Scopes trial, the monkey trial. Uh-huh. It comes out of uh, Hosea chapter 8, and it's verse 7 in my Bible. No, you're kidding me. Wait a minute. What do you mean comes out of the book? Well, that's the title. Remember? The name of the movie starring Spencer Tracy, the Scopes trial, the monkey trial in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, harvesting it, it, the uh, yeah, inherit the wind. Inherit the wind. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, how does how do they word it in your verse? They have planted the wind, but they will harvest the whirlwind. The okay. stalks of grain wither okay. and produce nothing to eat. So uh, it's the same idea, but a little adaptation. But uh-huh. in, I guess in the old King James, it would say, you know, you sow the wind and you'll reap the whirlwind. Inherit, you'll inherit the wind. And uh, oh my land. So that's where that is. Comes that what from. we're inheriting in Flint, Michigan now? Well, yeah, are we sure. inheriting the, the the whirlwind? Sure. And we, so it's because we planted the wind. And, and isn't that fascinating wow. that that was the the monkey trial? And the movie is called Inherit the Wind, and it comes that's where they got it from that verse. 
I wish, and I, I pray, and this is one thing we try to communicate clearly to these young men and women going into the Air Force, that we have this awesome privilege to, to help teach them the Scriptures and lead them to, to know the true and living God and so on. But I wish one of those things for the younger generation is that they would understand some of these things, that these philosophies, these truth claims, these theories that they're getting, all of this humanism and all of this agnosticism and all these things that sound they they've got them so intrigued b because they they kind of make fun of you know the church and christians the old institutions and so on uh of faith uh, the fathers and all that and now the new thing is all of these uh, i i wish the one thing i would I'd really encourage them to do is look at down the end of the trail where do those things take you where does i, I mean if it's true it's true so i you know if there is actually no god in and we we cannot really know anything. We can't. Uh, then you know you have to live with that reality, and those those things have consequences. I think that's one of the greatest arguments against atheism or uh, or you know secular you know this kind of a militant agnosticism. We don't know anything, and we can't know anything. People don't think if those things are true, it it all we have is what we have here. There's no basis for morality well, of any there's, kind. Yeah, there's, there's no there's binding two. morality. You're, you're, I agree with you 100. percent Might makes right. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, it always does. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and, and, and usually the victors write the history. In this yeah. case, the Jews, the losers, wrote the history. <laughs> but uh, that is an exception. Yeah. But what's fascinating is is the two things we know is that these people, when they were writing this, they believed it. It was real to them. They believed it at their time. Secondly, uh, talking about Genesis, I heard a short little conversation this week. And it's so interesting when people start debating what it says. And I always find it fascinating that people say, well, uh, I, I don't know what it means, but I'm sure it does not mean this. Well, I, and I always find that fascinating because what it's really saying is, I don't know what it means, and I don't know what it doesn't mean. <laughs> But they always seem to do it in the form of criticizing the Bible the text, and yeah. uh -huh. the text, of course, and criticizing the folks that wrote this because when the people wrote it, they believed it. Isn't that fascinating? It is, it and is. I, I have found that generally the greatest critics, and I'm just, I know this is not the way to approach it on a, with a religious idea, but generally the greatest critics do not know the verses, do not quote the verse or misquote or leave part out. Um, um, they have an opinion, yeah. and they use certain either text or certain uh, ideas sure. about the text right. as a pretext to support their ideas. So they come to with a pretext. That's right. A pre well, one of the other famous verses opinion. that gets quoted, not completely quoted, again, is the one, uh, though he slay me, I'll trust in him. In Job, yeah. Uh, and there's a comma there, and the rest of the verse continues. And it, without the rest of the verse, you don't know what he's really saying. But I find it so interesting, people select they cherry pick the words they yeah, want yeah. to support their theory. One of the uh, one of the young uh, trainees this morning, it, one of, in the question and answer session with one of them said, "You know, I, uh, some teacher in in my church or someone they brought to the church, a guest teacher, some, was talking about the, in Isaiah that the, that the the twin towers are mentioned and that the they're being destroyed. You know, the New York sure. nine eleven and, right. and 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 that was mentioned and this and that. And of course, I think I've heard that that." And, and I was telling him, you know, there's an old saying that you can prove anything by the Bible if you want to. And that you can find some verse or some part of a little verse and you can. And, and that really is, 
I, boy, I just don't think that's very healthy. And I think we do way too much of that as, uh, even in the Protestant, even evangelical, we've gotten so fascinated and enamored of this end times type questions and we want to figure out exactly what's going to happen and who's the army of a million and who's China and who's Iraq and what's oil and where's the United States. And, and we start, I, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I... We're coming up on the book, uh, these books here, we, uh, prophetic books here, and we're coming up on the book of Revelation, the Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. And a lot of times, uh, there, there is a great message to that book. There's a great message for us. It's very relevant. But it, I don't think it has anything at all to do with, like, you know, what, when Jesus come, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, this, that, and the other. I, I just think if God had wanted to make it clear to us exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to fall out, I mean, surely he could have done it. He could have made it crystal clear where there's no confusion. No, I think he wanted, wanted us to know, and we've had a caller or two in the last couple of weeks, Jacob, that said, oh, we want to debate, you know, whether it's pre-trib or yeah. pre, you know, post-trib. Yeah, I, I, I heard part of the, stuff. yeah, when I was out of state, I, I when I called and I got to hear some of the people calling in. I, I don't know, maybe they don't like me, but they don't call in with those things when I'm here. I wish they would, yeah. Well, let's pretend they did if you have something to say about it. But I, I, I was just going to say that I'm not quite sure that's the, where the focus is. Sometimes the way is lonely. Because, uh, you know, the, the takeaway from any point of view of the, the end times, the takeaway is, okay, be ready. Be living for God. Be active. Be, don't be sitting around on your hands and twiddling your thumbs. Uh, that's kind of hard to do, too. It's I was going to say, sit, that analogy escaped me for a minute. Sit on your hands and twiddle your thumbs. It's kind of hard to do at the same time. That'd be like hitting a speed bump every second. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's our music. We are a beautiful song we're going out with tonight. Hang around, folks. 210-340-9585. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When you can't contain your joy inside, then dance for Jesus. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, the constant reminder as we talk about the book of books, as we focus on the Bible here, it's not uh, the whole point of the program ultimately is not just get to know the book. It's uh, to get to know the author, get to know the God of the Bible. That's our, that's the important, the most important thing uh, of course, that's the central core message of the scriptures is what God has done so that we can indeed know him and experience him and enjoy walking through this journey of life uh, hand in hand with the creator himself. What a thrill. What an adventure that makes of our lives. Well, I want to go back. Uh, Harold has called back. He's got another comment he wants to ha make. And, uh, of course, we're always glad to hear from our listeners and we want to bring him back up. But then uh, I'm going to get Jacob in a moment. We're going to kind of. Take all of these books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, uh, Jonah, and Micah, and kind of talk about what is that central core message that comes to us out of each of these small books, uh, 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 these 
smaller works, uh, the prophetic works from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And, of course, if you want to call in, you can do that. that that's perfectly fine. But we're going to kind of commentary our way through these uh, smaller books here. But first, uh, Harold is back on the line with us, and we're glad to hear from you, Harold. What's up? Yeah, hi. Yeah, I just wanted to add, you know, like like when I said I had, you know, I had some uh, uh, some Bible, uh, what did I say, some Bible uh, talks at work, you know, Bible study, uh-huh. you know, and then you had mentioned, you know, oh, did you go back to Adam and Eve? And I said, well, I went no way further than that. But that's not really what I meant. It was further. But, for instance, when I started explaining, you know, about uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are so many people that think that that was written right after the death of Jesus Christ. And it really wasn't. You know, some of my studies go where it, it, it took 300 years and maybe even 400 years. And I won't get into all that, but there's a lot of writing and evidence on that. And one thing that I've learned this week from it, after after the destruction of both temples, I guess it was the end, Jacob may help us on this, that I read that there was, after it was all lost, Christianity was just about gone, so was Judaism, and there was a rabbi that was snuck out in a coffin and started a little commune area and asked one of the, I don't know, one of the Roman leaders, can I make like a religious sect over here? And that's when Judaism picked up again. But anyway, that's what I wanted to say. That's that's some of the things I... You're talking about during the 400-year time between the testaments there that we we were... Somewhere around through there. Okay. Uh, But anyway, I read that uh, it was a rabbi that was... Hmm. Snuck out in a coffin and started this stuff all over again. Uh, and I guess his name was Jacob, right? Jacob. Was, uh, <laughs> no, actually, Harold is right. Uh, the uh, two incidents are happened. Uh, Thanks, one, Harold, for one calling. One of the rabbis in. did get snuck out. He pretended he was dead, and uh, they carried him out in the coffin. And of course, he went uh, um, escapes. Yeah, yeah. No, that was uh, then. Uh, he did start a, a yeshiva school, and the second time is when uh, reputedly. Uh, let's see, was it? I think it was Alexander the Great was coming to uh, Jerusalem, and of course he was conquering, and, the, and a bunch of rabbis and priests came out to him. You I remember what? this, yes. Uh, and they went out to Yana, and they actually had. Uh, he made a deal that we, if you'll let us go over here and just teach the Torah, we'll name several of our children after Alexander. That's why in today's world, many Jews are named Alexander because huh. they kept a part of the uh-huh. bargain. And uh, and Alexander, uh, for some reason, there, there, oh, there was this go. mystery of why he didn't yes. destroy Jerusalem. Like yes, had been, and he had, he, and he, he claimed he had had a dream. Alexander had a dream the night before that he saw this man walking up to him in all these like uh, priestly garments. And indeed, when he got there, the priest walked out to him, and they did say, "We'll name our next generation of children Alexander if you let us go to Yarna and set up a school." And they did. All right. All right, good. Well, let's do what we talked about, Jacob. Let's begin our little trek through these sure. uh, books. Uh, Hosea. Now, I asked the question up front, what does the name Hosea mean? No one has answered that. I, I guess I should have pressed Harold on it. He probably could answer it for us. Uh, actually, the root of the word is the same as Joshua, Yo- uh-huh. Yeshua, right? It's, yeah, Yeshua. It means salvation. Sure, sure. Uh, and so the theme of the book essentially is indeed about... Um, 
It's about redemption. It's about God buying, purchasing. It's about the redemptive plan of God, salvation we talk about. I, I think now, I don't, that, that's the way we've, I've come to understand the theme of the book. And you, you've mentioned a couple of key uh, verses about the where you planted the wind and you reaped the, the whirlwind. There's also a warning of judgment and so on. But as you said, almost all of these books, they warn about judgment and so on. But there's all, at the end, there's always a message of hope and restoration. And, uh, but, but generally speaking, the theme here is about uh, salvation. And there's this picture of this, the, the remarkable picture, I think the thing that people fix on in the book of Hosea is this, uh, the prophet is called upon to marry this young girl named Gomer, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes me think of uh, what private what Gomer, Gomer, Gomer Pyle, yeah, the Marines. Oh. But we have, and she is unfaithful to him and has children with other men and so. But then he's called upon not only, not only the first, but to go back, even after she's been unfaithful to him, and, and go back and and purchase her out of slavery, and to buy her back, which again, which is. Of course, the core meaning of the word redeem. Remember how your mama or grandmother used to redeem coupons? You know, they would go back and redeem, they buy buy them back. Well, then, uh, as believers, uh, those of us who are by faith have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are we are God's twice. One by creation, people, all humanity falls in that category. But we are now His by redemption as well that we've been purchased, bought back after we had gone astray. And all of that is a little bit of the picture of Hosea, the, the, the big picture at least, with these uh, girls and all. Wh- what, what would you uh, well, add to and that? And, of course, Goma is a symbolism, maybe true, but it's also a symbolism for Israel itself. Is that right? Yeah, because what happens oh, is, sure. Sure, because uh, he takes her back. And, of course, adultery is idolatry. And so what happens is in Hosea, by the way, if you add in, uh, I think it's chapter 6, Six is it of Numbers, where Hosea is uh, uh, one of Joshua or Abraham, uh, Moses's uh, first uh, first uh, backups, and he cha- he puts the first name of God, the Yud. Oh yeah, Joshua was the, yeah, the so one who sure, took puts, leadership after. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he takes Hosea and puts the first name of God on it, becomes Yehoshua. All right. And so, so that's, yeah, but that's, it, the, the both is one word is. Uh, saves or salvation the yeah. other is god saves That's or right. the salvation exactly. of god yeah. exactly and uh, so gomer becomes a symbolism and god and he still takes him back even though idolatry and adultery are the same so he's making a point about remarrying gomer for even though she committed adultery um that yeah. uh, there would it, god would forgive and the final theme of hosea actually occurs in chapter 14 verse 2 uh-huh where it says uh, of hosea oh O Israel, return to your God, your Lord, for you have stumbled because of your sin. Take words with you. I love that phrase. Take words with you and return to God and say to him, forgive all sin and accept what is good. We will offer confession in place of bullocks. Now, this phrase is the answer to when people say, well, because I've had many people say to me, how do Jews handle uh, the temple doesn't exist? They don't do animal sacrifices. How do they? Yeah, how do you now keep that? Yeah, Because here and a couple other places, Isaiah says, you know, I prefer repentance rather than uh, the sacrifice sacrifice of animals. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice of animals was never how Jews got rid of their sin. It was symbolic for getting rid of the Uh sin. And, so and the way you fed the priest, by the way. <laughs> well, and, of course, of course it, it was full-time employment for the priest. 
and they ate, didn't they eat sure, some of the sacrifices? Sure. No. Yeah. And here you've got it says, take words with you uh-huh. and confession in place of bullocks or bulls, sacrifices. So the idea is, is uh, yeah, you've, you've been sinned, but God does forgive, return to God. Oh, I love that. Assyria cannot save us. There was a there was an attempt to say, oh, well, let's make an alliance with uh, China or with Russia or with Iraq or with, you know, they had the same tendency. And they would think, well, let's make an alliance with Assyria. And that way they'll protect us from the Babylonians or from the Israelites. And he says, Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Uh, never again will we be able to say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. Mm-hmm. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. Uh, Lord, so this. All of these things are very relevant to the times we live in. It, sure. And I think even the idea that you said Hosea being an, a picture of Israel, it, that was essentially what I was saying. It's a picture of God's people. And that's part of what I was saying in the beginning, that you've made me see that we as believers, as followers of, of uh, Jesus, that we are now part of Israel. And, and so that message is not just for the nation, the people of it, but... Uh, spiritually for all of God's people and, and that we are I think symbolically we are seen in Gomer he has purchased sure. us we are twice bought twice his one by creation another by redemption anyway that that's a great great book the book of Hosea and if you read read it in the in the context of when the prophet uh was there and what he was uh warning about and the uh, of course he was pr- predicting and prophesying he was a uh, he was a contemporary of Isaiah, if I yes, remember correctly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so he was. Uh, it was while it was while uh, the ten northern tribes were still in the existence. Ten tribes, and yeah. so you, you pick out that you see that in, in its context, and the book is tremendous. How about Joel? Uh, he's a remarkable guy. <clears throat> well, and his, yeah. his the start of his book is. Mm-hmm. The land is being covered and crops are being eaten by a plague of locusts, locusts. on the land. And he, he starts off talking about that. Uh, what do, uh, and this, I guess the famous verses are, isn't Joel the one that's quoted in Acts chapter 2? And they said, yes. this is what the prophet predicted, yes. that your, your uh, fathers and the sons will be reading, your, the, sons will prof- the fathers will prophesy, the sons, will, I, I, fathers will dream dreams and see visions, and the sons will prophesy and so on. Sure. And so he's he's talking about this time of restoration, isn't he? When yeah. when when Israel is going to be re- restored, and there will be a time of uh, genuinely, uh, uh, I guess, generally, is it talking about spiritual restoration and renewal of the land? Uh, how do you how do uh, how's the Jewish well concept yeah, the, of there's the no of doubt Joel? about it that they're really the locusts are the conquering people that is in sense of punishment for the failure to obey God. Okay. But the whole idea of Joel is that uh, even though all that those locusts are eating everything, the the attackers, the enemies, would uh, that be the generally the theme of judgment? Because the the day of the Lord is one of a, a major theme, a, a major phrase that repeats in the day of the Lord. Yeah, it says the great and dreadful day. The, of the yeah, Lord. so we're talking about the great day of judgment. Well, it's think great for is, some, dreadful for others. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. Yes. Uh, so, but uh, the idea is uh, finally Joel ends up with that: if you repent for your sins, God will have mercy on you, and then the land will be returned and prosper. That's the, basically the theme. So, yeah, the, all this bad stuff's going on, but Joel's saying, "Come on, you guys, repent." 
and God will forgive if you repent. Yeah. So he's kind of expressing the same thing about return to God and as well as you made a commitment, a marriage, if you will, uh-huh. because really the Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai is really a marriage contract. Exactly. So That's why that? we're called the Bride of Christ. I mean, there's a lot sure. of that imagery in the, yeah. Well, there is one thing I wanted to ask you that's Acts 2 passage. Peter is quoted. Mm-hmm. He quotes Joel 2.28 where God promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh, on all people. Yes. And uh, I'm wondering, is that seen as uh, the expansion of the redemptive plan of God? In a big way, it was never just totally limited to never, people never. group of Israel. It was so, meant for everybody. But is, sure. this, is this kind of pre uh, predicting the... This explosion of the redemptive plan of God into the world of the Gentiles, this sure. idea of uh, I will pour out my flesh on all uh, my spirit on all flesh. And is that the idea? Yes, of course. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, that. And the understanding is that the day will come when all nations of the world, not through conquering or uh, coercement, but through them real, their own realization that all nations will acknowledge the real God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Abraham mm-hmm. Isaac, and Jacob. But it will it is for everybody, and exactly as you're saying in Acts chapter 2. Okay, well then we'll jump from Joel. I, 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 I probably would. I love there's a phrase in Joel that I've always liked. I don't know why I like the phrase. It's just it talks about people who are caught in the, in the valley of decision. Uh-huh. And, and somehow I like that imagery because you're, in some ways, I think, uh, in some ways, America in some ways, it seems to be now in a, a point of decision. that We we have to decide now which direction. Are we going to continue down the path toward uh, turning away from a faith, the faith of our fathers, the, the, it, it, the, the idea of a shining city on a hill that, that God has ordained this nation and that we are, you know, I mean, God we trust and all the things, the, the, the legacy, the heritage of faith that we're built upon. Or are we going to move onward into this kind of the secular humanism and into godlessness? And so it kind of feels like we're in a valley of decision. We're trying to figure out which direction we're to go. Somehow I just like that phrase. I did like, uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, but following up what you just said, I did hear uh, General Kelly's speech this last week. Did you happen to hear it? Yes, I did. And I really was, I really, I fell in love with his speech. What a great speech when he said, uh, of course, we all know he lost his own son. Right. Mm -hmm. When he said, you know, when I was a young man, he said, uh, things were sacred. Women were sacred. Marriage was sacred. Religion was sacred. Uh, a, a call of consolation was sacred. I thought, wow. And I noticed, I looked at the audience, not one of those reporters stood up or challenged or had another question. They knew they were hearing truth. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a great, great. I've heard so many. I heard it, and then I heard so many comments as well. Boy, that was touching. That was, he really did go to the court. And, of course, the credibility of being having being a part of it to the extent that he is as an individual and his personal life, his son being killed, uh, all of that adds to the the, the drama of that particular speech. Uh, what an amazing times we live in, and I think in a great sense we are in a valley of decision as a nation and even as God's people. I mean, we've been praying for revival, but are we willing to pay the price for the revival that, that God, I believe, wants to send to uh, those if we will... As you've said, turn back to him, back to God's laws, back to uh, ask forgiveness and be restored. Well, let's go to the book of Amos, which I like Amos. He's one of my favorites. And for one, he's a farmer. 
Uh, the one reason I like him, right? Isn't Amos a, a farmer? He attended trees or takes care of animals. Have I got that right? Yeah, he's a shepherd and yeah, tender a shepherd, tree. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of think of him as a farm farmer and kind of a common guy. Who uh, I remember in my youth, sometimes you'd have some rancher or some farmer that just come up and and I even heard recently a, a, a CD it was given to me from uh, you know the cowboy preachers and so on. And they're so close to the land and so close to that simple salt of the earth sort of grassroots sense. You know, you know it's sense. fascinating you say that. Because one of the most famous books in Jewish literature centuries ago was a book called Guide for the Perplexed. And that's how you say it in English. Uh And in there, he actually makes a slight reference to Amos. And he actually says that uh, it's not to the great and well-educated, but to the people that are well-endowed mentally and emotionally to receive this and that their occupation may be that of a shepherd because a shepherd has been taught and learned to take care of something else. A lot of patience, (laughs) too, and right. So he actually, it's amazing you say that because it's exactly what one of the greatest scholars in Jewish literature ever said. I like this guy, Amos. He's a layman. He's not, you know, seminary trained and all this. And and I'm not putting down the seminary or or even the the priesthood, you know, trained and prepared. He's a layman. Uh, He's not uh, a Levite. Uh, he's before God called him to to the preach the prophetic ministry, and uh, he is from a little town called Tekoa, about ten miles south of Jerusalem. He's a not big city guy, Houston, you know, New York, L.A. He's, and he uh, he warns God, uh, warns the people of Israel through him, and that's one principle that I, I think comes out of the book of Amos is that before God judges a nation or a people. He does repeatedly, repeatedly warn them. He repeatedly gives it, turn, turn. May I turn, say turn their back. cup is not yet full? Not yet. Okay. That's, of course, an imagery that comes from uh, the farm background here. Yeah. That uh, yeah. it, I like what Amos refers to. That. He, he's angry at the women. Uh, isn't that <laughs> interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because even then the women's issues and now we're living in the you know the age of, of sure. the women's liberation and all this sort of thing and, and you know i i, I love that i'm married to a woman and i have a wonderful I daughter i hope so <laughs> I, and yeah and i and i i i really love the opportunities that that, that, that stacy has now and, and, and the, to support and to earn and to be a leader and influence i i i'm not sure that's not healthy i it doesn't mean, and I don't see it as a threat to my manhood or any other, you know, men, godly men, and lead, we both have our role. But uh, Amos talks about the women of his era, he, these wicked, prideful, arrogant women, and he calls them fat cows, which I always thought was, boy, there's a guy. That does sound like a cowboy preacher. <laughs> they just plain talking, you know, the fat cows of Samaria, he called them. Uh, but it, how do y'all? Uh, it was primarily a message for the northern kingdoms, if I remember. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. H- how is he viewed in from the Hebrew? Ab- about the, about the same. Yeah, he's a he's an, he's a, a shepherd, uh-huh. and uh, he was evidently just picked out of the crowd to give these visions and instructions to. And it is fascinating that his book is included among all the books of these prophets, priests, and scholars. Yeah. Well, it's got a lot of imagery from the farm. He talks about uh, fat cows. He's, uh, 
Of course, a cow is not considered a, a, a bad statement. Okay. A cow is always a, a good thing in this uh, this Thank agricultural you. community. Thank you for getting me out of that. And fattened means that they've had a lot of time to graze. <laughs> a lot of time on their hands. Okay, I, you're trying to d- let me dig your way, dig my way out of the hole there. But he uses the imagery of ripe fruit. Remember, they had this vision of a basket full of ripe fruit right, and right, right. rotten fruit yeah, and so on. Baskets and the plumb uh-huh. line and the whole business. And, and I do like there's one thing, that a, a touching passage in the book of Amos. He says, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, he talks about there's going to be another kind of uh, famine, uh, a drought. Right. It's going to be a famine of God's word. You know, that, and I think, wow, again, how horrible that would be. Again, you're right. It's a famine of God's word. Again, it's the reemphasis of not teaching God's laws. Getting away yeah. from the word, getting yeah. away from the book, actually, and what God has said. Because uh, that's part of the impetus for this program, the Bible Live, is help us to call us back to the, the old let's, book. Let's the jump scriptures. over to Obadiah. Let's go. Uh, not a Jew, for one. That was the surprising thing. Yeah, you yeah. Me everybody everybody thinks Obadiah was Jewish, uh-huh. or Obadiah was not Jewish. However... Uh, we do have a. Would state. you say he's a Jewish convert? Uh, as a matter of fact, he's considered a righteous Jewish convert. Okay. But he doesn't give up being from the from Esau. He's an Edomite. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Isn't that interesting? Uh huh. And he, and he actually does. I've say, forgotten that detail. Yeah. He is a descendant of a uh, Esau. Esau. And yeah. so here's a guy who produced like the the Canaanites and whoever. Esau's bad guys. They do bad things. In fact, I know I'm going to get myself perhaps a little uh, walking on glass right now, but I'll say this. Eggshells, I think. Uh, well, I was thinking that might be more cutting. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, um, you see, Edom, their religion, not the people, but the religion, some of their religion still exists today. And if you know, oh, boy, now here comes the bad thing. Huh? But it's, it's actually what's talked about. The letters of Edom is the letters of Rome. Because much of the religion that became some of the embodied universal religion of Rome actually did bring forth some of the Canaanite services. Uh Which came from Esau, like, you know, as much as, and I'm not looking to offend anybody, but you know the the transubstantiation? Transubstantiation. Okay, you know what that is, of course. Yes, uh, the idea that in the the Lord's Supper, the communion, Uh that the wine actually becomes the blood. The blood and and the the body. It becomes the flesh. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and that's existent in the Roman Church. You know where that comes from? That's a Canaanite ritual. Now, isn't that fascinating? Well, of course, Jesus, they, uh, I've spent a number of years living in Spain in a very highly Catholic uh, nation in some ways, 92% don't practice anything, so it's really basically a secular sure. uh, nation, but Catholicism is it was strong there, and I've, I've uh, talked with uh, nuns and even priests, and they talk about that passage from the point of view of Well, because uh, I know there's Jesus a, there's a spot that says, eat my, eat my blood, drink my, yeah. drink my blood, eat my yeah. flesh, you know. and, and of course, I, there's an explanation for that, sure. which we... We touch upon as right. we make our way through the gospel. Well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and I'm not taking a position right or wrong. I'm just saying that's it. Yeah. Anyway, but Obadiah, of course, was a righteous convert. And he was from the tribe of the nation of Edom, from Esau. And uh, Interesting. And, Makes his book all had, the more interesting. And he had a son. Nay. Oh, that was the one that uh, 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 somebody raised him. Was it Elijah? Uh-huh. Raised him. There you go. From the, uh, from from the Phoenician. Yes. No. Yeah. Well, she died. Yes. Uh, it's, his son is Habakkuk, 
which was raised from the dead. I see. And Obadiah was his father. Uh, wow. Well, we didn't get to Jonah, but he is the most familiar probably of these men. This, the, the Jonah is unique. Seems kind of fishy we didn't get to him. <laughs> it's not about Jonah, his message so much. It's about the life and the experience of the prophet himself. That's a unique thing. Say your phrase. Uh, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Helping restore the Bible to our culture. And it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz, Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.